Hello, it's Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydoke, ask a friend to select a story and their favourite things about it. I then have to watch, commentate, drop facts and try to guess what their favourite things about each episode are. Hello, Toby. You join me in the fertile, featureless Fenland of Cambridge. I want to talk about Attack of the Cybermen. Um, this is the story that rekindled my love of Doctor Who. Well, hello, everybody. That was Robin Bunce, uh, who you heard talking there, who is a Cambridge academic, who has written many scholarly works about... Uh, all sorts of things, but including Doctor Who and TV sci-fi, uh, and uh, recently uh, organised some celebratory uh, scholarism uh, about Nigel Neal's 1984 uh, that was recently released uh, by the BFI on Blu-ray. Uh, so he's always got his eye on opportunities to promote and discuss classic television. Uh, Doctor Who, no less, but also... His father, uh, the late Roger Bunce, uh, who only died about a year ago, uh, was a cameraman at the BBC who worked on adventures with almost all of the classic Doctors and retained an interest in the show, uh, popped up on a few commentaries and extras uh, late in the range. I think we perhaps could have made... Uh, use of him earlier um, he also did a, uh, a two-part who's round he was really great was Roger was really enthusiastic uh, had a good memory and was very happy to engage with our you know aficionados of uh, of the old stuff and was a great fighter for the legacy of television center well and indeed had some things to say about it selling off great guy was Roger so uh, I'm happy that uh, through being in touch with Robin, I still have some connection to Roger because we uh, used to email back and forth. He was always happy to answer uh, questions or just to keep in touch. He turned up to see my show. He turned up uh, when Weber Fear was shown at, uh, at the cinema in Leicester Square. Yeah, he was just a, a great guy, was, uh, was Roger. So, uh, you know, with a nod and a wink to, to Rog, uh, let's uh, see uh, what Robin's going to like about Attack of the Cybermen Part 2. Once, I have hopefully said interesting things during it, and uh, there's no better way to do that than to watch from the beginning, as it says here on BritBox, the, uh, the 44 minutes that constitute Episode 2 of Attack of the Cybermen in 3, 2, 1. I'm, I'm going to watch from the beginning. That's what it says. Here we go. Uh, that's quite loud, isn't it? So block your Alexa. Alexa, volume three. So uh, I hope uh, your Alexa didn't respond to my Alexa voice. Uh, maybe she's only got ears for me. Anyway, here we are. Doctor Who in capitals. Attack of the Cybermen. by Paula Moore, uh, who we suspect was Eric Sayward. Interesting that part two is not all in big capitals, uh, but Attack of the Cybermen is. So here we are. So um, this is, uh, the you know, we get a bit of Terry Malloy, even though he's, uh, uh, strictly speaking, dead by the time the episode proper 
starts uh, again there's lots of cybermen become a bit sort of cannon foddery uh here although i suppose i mean they get they get they get uh, smashed to bits in the invasion don't they but um I think it takes a bit more doing. I always like the idea that, yes, they can be killed there by their own weapons. Although, actually, that is a, a bit of a design flaw. Carry, carry with you the one thing that can destroy you. But, as I say, uh, may, maybe the idea that, uh, you know, the, the, the Cybermen are invincible was, was very much played up by the target books. Uh, uh, and, and so, they, they, they for, for fans of my age, they had with them a certain mythology um, before any of us first saw them. I'm sure when I watch uh, Earthshock, that has been chosen by uh, a big Finnish mover and shaker, uh, but he's not actually done, he's not actually sent me his thing. So anyway, um, I, the Cybermen were always my sort of favourite monster, but again, I think that's partially because part of me likes not liking the thing that everybody else likes as much. You know, and, that, and and because it's very, it was very easy to take the Daleks for granted, I suppose. Although I always did quite get excited when they were, it was, in, it was it's how they were sort of rationed actually during my formative years during the show. If you think about it, if I started watching with the Invisible Enemy, repeat. Um, so I suppose my first season proper was probably uh, the key to time. Although my my. My my first memories of a consistent series are season seventeen. So I suppose I started with Daleks, um, uh, but then the Daleks don't really appear again until Resurrection. The Cybermen didn't have for uh, you know season seventeen, season eighteen, and that's a long time when you're a kid. You know, two and a half years, especially as I'd already got memories from previous couple of years. So we're talking sort of four years really till till you know Earthshock. By which time we've got I've, you know I've got the Doctor Who monster book and various novels and stuff. So the Cybermen were always quite exciting for me, and I and I think these eighties Cybermen are very good. I think you know they deserve a lot of credit for those those pilot suits that they augment with those pipes and sprayed silver, and and the gloves at this stage I think are very good. The the comedy, the, yeah, this is where Malcolm Malcolm Clark's score, which has much to recommend it. I love the the Cyber March. I love those clanging bells that suggest sort of chilly metal, you know, echoing around cold dark shadowy catacombs or ships holds or whatever um uh but but we've got the the step to and son sort of riff haven't we and then we have the 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 funny or oh, stratton's a bit sad he's having to be a cyberman and it's it's tonally all a bit all over the place and i i, I always think if the music is is having a laugh as well i I, I always think, well, that might be fun for you to do, but I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what I think of that. And yet, you know, what Malcolm Clark did elsewhere, certainly with Simon, and you know, that score for Earthshock is amazing, and this has echoes of that. Um, time travel in an organ. <laughs> has he got an earring as well there, Glover? Um, uh, I love... I love the way the Cyberman walks. That you look at the way he's walking. He's like, I am walking like a jaunty Cyberman. Uh, now, John Ainley is the name of uh, of of the Cyberman that chats to Michael Kilgariff. There's very much sort of two double acts. There's there's the Cyber Controller and jaunty John Ainley, and then there's uh, uh, the Cyber Leader David Banks with with Brian Oral as the Lieutenant. Um, 
but he's he is a relation, I believe, of Anthony Ainley. I'm sure there was a mention there. I'm sorry if I'm drinking a bit. I'm watching on the... Uh, you might snap your hand off this. This is very much... He likes it in the dialogue as well, doesn't he? The fact that things are a bit visceral and, and violent, uh, does, uh, does Mr. Saywood, who, you know, whose hands you can see all over this. Um, Morris Colburn carries off a jumpsuit very well. I think these two guys look great. I think Morris... Uh, yes, Morris Colburn I didn't really mention um, last time. Odd, that, because his return was great news. He'd, been so, he'd, he'd made such an impression in uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, but we already liked him because he'd been uh, Jack Coker in... I'm talking about in the household day, Doak. Um, he'd been Jack Coker in Day of the Triffids, which was... You know, a B it was a BBC science fiction that was that was a bit grown up. You know, it was uh, it was not like Doctor Who. It was one that you had to stay up a bit later to see, and it was it was altogether deemed a bit more a bit more serious. Uh, and you know, the heroes are, are nice, but you know, the the ladies posh and uh, and the blokes lovely John Dottine and 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 you know, Morris Colburn was there to give it a bit of grit. You know, he was the one that I think shouted at the the government and uh, uh, and uh, handcuff people to blind people in order that people. You know, no, he didn't do that. But but anyway, he was there. He, he was there very much as the sort of hard bitten, tough guy on uncompromising, pragmatic kind of hero. Not necessarily the, the, the one that you liked, but the one you admired because he was a bit tough as old boots. Um, uh, and so so having him in Doctor Who was quite cool. Then the idea that he would come back uh, was, you know, was was very exciting. Odd, though, to then take everything that we kind of liked about him in resurrection that he was this you know cold cold-blooded killer frankly um and I, I don't think i'm ever quite you know that the whole thrust of this episode uh, you know leads to the punchline i don't think i've ever misjudged anybody so much as i did what the man who led the massacre of the first thing we ever saw him do was to massacre some escaping prisoners uh who then uh kill you know the reason he escapes at the end of resurrection is that he kills one of his own men in order to leave no trace uh he's you know he's not that nice he may be working for the cryons in this um but i don't think they ever quite rationalize that with his brilliant uh villainy that he he, he does in resurrection of the daleks and what morris colburn does very well although of course his his final role was as, as lovely tom howard in uh in uh, in in Howard's way, um, uh, you, you know, who was who was a, a an altogether more bizarre, benign and sort of series lead type, and it was the part that he he was playing when he died. I think he, you know, and I remember reading in the paper when he died, uh, you know, very very young, just as he was, you know, he'd finally sort of got a lead in this. No, he because he's in Gangsters, of course, in which he's excellent. If you've ever seen Gangsters, there's an eccentric series, but I I very much recommend you. Uh, you you give it a bash that's some nice direction with the cyberman standing outside when the other when the cyber lieutenant comes in uh it's just a n nice bit of positioning you will go to the console room i talk slightly like i've got a nasal issue whereas mark hardy is much more like that yeah anyway i've got, I've got to stop being hard on brian oral for not being mark hardy i sound like i've got a a, 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 a Mark Hardy crush, but I do like Mark Hardy's cyber lieutenant. This is this is nice. This is quite a shocking scene, I think, and and I I love the Cybermen with the that's beautifully shot. That 
that real close-up of the profile of the Cybermen. Cyberman, but yeah, the cobwebby Cyberman uh, going through the catacombs, I think, is is really nice. Uh, I, you know, and I, I, as a, as a young fan, the idea that we would be revisiting the tombs of the Cybermen, especially as Tomb of the Cybermen was missing, um, and I don't think I'd seen a picture of the Cyber Controller at that point. I think it took a while before. I know there are pictures of the cyber controller in two, but I don't think there were any that had, that I had seen. Um, I don't think until after. So the, the, the cyber controller being a domed thing without uh, handlebars was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's nice to have just in the, just as it's nice to have a, a Dalek with different things on its sucker arm. It's nice to have a, a Cyberman with a slight difference of design. And I think all of these pipes, uh, uh, you know, coming off them are great. They've got a real industrial thing, although they have now. You cannot now see the moving jaw, um, which I do think it because you can't quite make out what it is um, and because it's a hint of something organic. I, I do rather like Um I mean, they've even Stratton's mouth is even sort of slightly loose, isn't it? So he's got the, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's quite cleverly done in that you know these these guys who are you know they're rejects, aren't they? Essentially, you know, they are half Cyberman anyway. Um, so, you know, the design syncs up, as it were. Um, oh, finally, they've allowed Perry to wear some stuff because because she's going into the coldy tombs. Um, because yeah, I think you'd, in her last costume you'd have noticed when she got cold. Uh, I can't believe it. Um, so, and I suppose that, but there's part of me going, well, if you are gonna do the tombs of the Cybermen, should it not look like the tombs of the Cybermen? Uh, but I suppose actually they don't look. You know, it's it's you know it's doors, it's entranceways in a in a in a sort of vertical set with railings it's it's not as actually as i think it's a it's actually a as a reasonable update i think you could go well you know this this is in the same universe as the as the previous tombs but obviously m made in an 80s telly way i don't think you you know you don't reproduce exactly what you saw in the 60s do you in the same way that you don't you don't make the cybermen look the same as they looked last time uh david banks's body language is so good he, you can uh, and I, and I, I quite like the idea that the, the Cybermen are, are slightly. Oh, we shouldn't really be here. That adds to a, a nice sort of, uh, a nice creepiness. Um, Michael Kilgariff is a very interesting guy. He's a, you know, he's a sort of after dinner speaker. He's a great fan of vaudeville theatre. Uh, uh, you know, and 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 so the idea that he didn't do the voice in the original when when actually. He's done a lot of radio, you know. He is a he is a sort of voice voice man, if you like. Um, so it's it's nice for him that he gets to do gets to do the controller this time. Yeah. So more, yeah, Morris Colburn. Um, yeah, you know, just doing doing Howard's way, um, and then then dying halfway through, and they had to they had to sort of carry on the series and rewrite it on the fly I think because he was making the show when he when he died very suddenly uh that's a that's brilliant I love that bit because it's such a shock uh uh and uh, you know I'm a sucker for a for a side man getting his head knocked off 
Um, and, and yeah, this this fight is quite fun. That I, David Banks does a little sort of punch to the stomach before dispatching that uh, the the, uh, the cobwebby Cyberman. It's uh, it's quite it's quite fun. Um, and I, I quite like that they, they don't have manhandle the doctor, and Colin Baker really goes for it, sort of you know suggesting the strength of the thing that's hurling him about. Now I'd seen the cryons because the week before. I'd watched Saturday Superstore, which I didn't always watch. I wonder if I'd watched it deliberately, though, because I knew Doctor Who was coming up. Uh, and they showed, they actually showed the scene of Vaughn, played by Sarah Green, getting shot. And then they sort of cut back to her and she said, will Vaughn survive? And you're going, well, it didn't look like it. She's been shot by a Cyberman. Uh, you know, and she said, who is played by me? Uh, and... Uh, it's like, oh, Sarah Green is in Doctor Who. And there's some, you know, there's some quite heavyweight casting uh, among the, uh, the the cryon contingent. Not that you would have a clue, because you can't see who any of them are. They're, I mean, they're curious costumes. Now, this is, es Threst is Esther Freud, uh, the novelist, um, who married David Morrissey from The Next Doctor uh, and is from the Freud clan. Uh, you know the, the 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 famous family. Uh, is she Clement Freud's daughter? I don't know how they're all. Uh, and there's um, Emma Freud as well, isn't there? Who's married to Richard Curtis? Uh, uh, and so they're all. I did. Yeah, now there's sisters going on, cousins maybe, but but they're all from the same from the from the same bunch. Um, so there's lots of connections to Doctor Who and to other illustrious areas of UK culture. Um, and she was an actress, I think, only for a short while, Esther Freud, and then became a novelist and an extremely successful one. So an interesting figure who I'd sort of love to interview, really, because um, I, you know, I like anyone who's led an interesting and artistic life that also that at one point played a <laughs> Doctor Who monster with a see-through head and a moustache uh, made out of bubble wrap <laughs> or whatever. And, you know, some effort has been made with the crimes. I don't think they're a hundred percent successful you know they do look like they've got um dinner plates on their necks well not dinner plates kind of things that you um you know serve canapes on you know frosted glass kind of servers um uh i i think the mustache stuff is quite good because it 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 breaks up the traditional idea of sort of femininity uh, in monsters that are all played by women and have these funny sort of dancey movements so i quite like that i think that's quite a daring and not particularly cliched way of approaching an all-female race go give them sort of walrusy moustaches things and the, and i could I, I the trick with the eyes is it is is quite fun that you know they they have that obviously that that uh that um the magnification going on and so that the human eye is is magnified so it looks bigger within the thing but you can sort of see that it's magnified rather than an actual eye so what's going on there but i, I don't mind that it's it's playing with form it's playing with shape and here's uh, uh, Faith Brown, who's got who's got a bit of added colour and massive breasts. Um, and now I not say that because I'm a, a, a starer at breasts or core, core look at the bazoomers on that type of fellow. But um, I think with Faith Brown, I think it would be dishonest of one not to notice uh, that uh, she's packing quite a lot of heat in the memory department. Um, and Faith Brown, really curiously, you know, was was an impressionist, very well known TV face at the time, but for light end and for comedy, and I think is really good in this. 
uh, and gives a good acting performance. So a sign that, you know, don't underestimate somebody's acting because we associate them with something else like vaudeville or stand-up or song and dance or whatever. Because um, uh, I think she's excellent in this. And you would think she was one of those people, because she, she was in an... I, I like this uh, scene with Perry and the Cryons because I, I like uh, the levels that they have to the design. Um you know, I think it's it's quite strikingly staged in that way. Uh, that that opening shot where you've got somebody up quite high up and she's right at the bottom. I I think it's nicely framed. Um, it's it's a curious change in in tone this episode because obviously we we lose a lot of the location and characters we had in episode one and are introduced to a whole new bunch for, for episode two. So it is very much a game of two halves. I I quite like the. Uh, the movement that the cryons do so you've got and again you've got sarah green who was supposed to be ku stark now ku stark was a bit of a joke in our house because she was uh she was the sort of person that my brothers knew about because uh, uh, she was a she was an actress but she was also dating prince andrew which in those days didn't quite <laughs> didn't quite carry with it the 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 burden of, uh, of of public opinion that it that it might now it was just that oh Prince Andrew was seeing this actress who got her kit off in a couple of things so so in in a way she was supposed to be the one that was harming his reputation oh how times have changed um, uh, and in fact you know because she was because as she proved in a couple of films she was she was all grown up now he would probably use her to improve his reputation. But Faith Brown, I know some people who've, um, uh, you know, who, who who go to great efforts to sort of track performers down and things. Faith Brown is not as easy to find as you would think, seeing as, as I say, she did an I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, you know, a while ago now. But that's still, you know, more recent and more of a sort of everybody's seen phenomenon than, than a lot of people that we consider famous from Doctor Who because, you know, they might have starred in the second series of drama that that was on in 1994 or whatever um and i was really surprised when my friend ben said well actually we we, we don't we, we never hear we don't know where faith brown's old agent doesn't know where she is or whatever so i wonder if she's just gone well i've had enough now i've done it money don't need to uh i'll just keep my head down um anyway i hope she had because when i when i heard that she was going to be in it i was like Oh, really? I'm not sure about that because of the association. She was an impressionist and a sort of buck-toothed, brassy, sort of, uh, yeah, as I say, Saturday Night Light End, really, type of figure. And I think she does a lovely job here. I mean, some of their body language is slightly exaggerated, but that's what they're going for. These are creatures that move slightly differently. And I, uh, you know, I always think anything that makes an attempt to not be, you know, just a person plodding about... Um, and and to to do with aliens something that is suggestive of alienness of strangeness of weirdness and I, I actually think her the color scheme that she has on her face is quite good as well so I, yeah I'm sympathetic to people who don't think the cryons work but I think they're a I think they're a pretty brave attempt to do something a bit a bit different and a, and a race of female aliens at a time when you know, I mean, the classic series never never did brilliantly with sort of f- um, female parts. Uh, the latter era is better. Um, I mean, you know, it does say a lot that you get all these very respected female performers from different fields because you've got, yeah, Sarah Green, Household Dame Among Kids, but for being a presenter. 
um, Faith Brown, comedian. Uh, Esther Freud is at that time a young, not very well known. And then Sarah Berger, uh, uh, you know, a very highly thought of classical actress. I know Sarah a bit now. Uh, I interviewed her for Who's Round, but then she she directed uh, she directed a friend of mine in a play. So we we bumped into each other on on a few different occasions, um, and are in touch on social media and stuff. She's always been very game about talking about Doctor, even though she, you know she's done you know she was you know well known at that time for doing sort of proper classical stuff. Uh, I think this it's funny. There's a cliche about Doctor Who being in quarries, but that's only because we know that they're quarries. I mean, I as a kid. I didn't. I didn't go to many quarries, so it's not like oh, this is a thing that's around the corner. Um, I didn't go to any quarries. I don't go to quarries now. I, I, th- you know, a lot of sci-fi we now see set in forests and more or whatever. I actually think a quarry to be suggestive of a stark and bleak alien planet provides a lot of visual interest. Yeah, sort of grey and brown or whatever, but but the shapes of the mounds and the and 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 you know that you can you can you can sort of feel the gravel and the sand and. And I, and I remember this from the first time. I remember thinking this was amazing and pretty grim. Uh, you know, the the Cyberman beneath, and then that show of strength. This is very, you know, Brian Glover really sells it. Uh, and it's a simple trick because it's, um, you know, it's shot very close up and stuff. But I think, I think that's really that's really simple and effective and nicely done. And Atwell's great, isn't he? He's a real. He's the real deal. He's hard, you know, hard as nails. Uh, doesn't you know doesn't let the facade drop for a minute he was a memorable bill sykes um but he was kenny beale in eastenders as well new zealand from the new zealand side of the family uh you know what a few few who has turned up um in eastenders over the years i remember when brian croucher turned up in it as well being very chuffed always pleased to see doctor who actors in work but atwell died he atwell died quite suddenly i think and unexpectedly and was starring in hotel babylon or had just done a couple of you know semi-regular parts in it um and i remember i think the week after he died he was he featured in an episode but it was as a kind of um flash flashback so I wonder if it had been shot with the previous episode, but it wasn't footage from an old episode. But as a result, he wasn't credited, I don't think. So his his actual valedictory appearance on television was, uh, you know, and in the old days, using that sort of footage of you, even though you're non-speaking, if you've been hired as an actor, you'd get a credit and, you know, blah de blah de blah the, the lines are a bit more blurred now and people take the piss. But but that the Michael Atwell's last telly role was a, a sort of un- uncredited non-speaking bit just because... Uh, it had been sort of fed into an episode, probably shot in a previous block. And they're like, can we just use that? Um, uh, and of course, so therefore no acknowledgement or anything like that, that it was showed post-mortem. Uh, that still of the Doctor and, you know, that they've, they've seen, uh, that the, the, the cryons have just shown to Perry of the Doctor trapped in there with Flast um, t- to give a sense of where he is and what he's doing, is actually a still pressed on pause in horrible 80s videotape way of a scene that hasn't actually happened yet so uh they're they're watching the future there um um so yeah sorry i've just finished my pint of ice cold water because it's the hot yeah it is it's the hottest one of the hottest weeks on record and uh i'm i'm watching everybody getting very chilly on telos um 
So, as a, yeah, so there's been a, quite a lot of chatting so far in this episode. But I, I suppose you did always feel at this time that Doctor Who was trying to tie in whatever was, was happening in the world. So Halley's Comet was very big. Um, and, you know, it's quite humbling, Halley's Comet, because it only comes every 75 years. He's, he's very bold with his close-ups. And I quite like the fact there's one of those rare character looking straight at the camera um from uh, from sarah berger there um and she's beautiful and she's even beautiful in her cryon makeup lovely eyes she, you know it's a it's a really interesting that somebody's even under all of that stuff you can get a sense of somebody's um uh you know yeah beauty um and uh so what was i talking about um, yeah. Oh, Colin Baker, by the way, he is so much extra value that, you know, they're obviously they're boiling under studio lights here. You totally buy that he is cold. He never stops. I think it's great leading man stuff. He never stops giving a sense of of the urgency of the episode, giving the emotion. Uh, but but also, uh, y you know, he, he never lets you forget that this is really, really freezing. It's great at all of that sort of stuff. Um, but yes, Halley's Comet. Um, I remember my science teacher going, and it's every 75 years, so I won't be around next time it comes. And me thinking that was a, a really brave thing for a grown up to admit, you know, to their own mortality. Whereas now I know when you're in the your mid 40s, you know, you go, well, yeah, something that's in 75 years, I will be dead, and there's nothing I could do about it. Um, but there's a chance, I suppose, that, that yes, I might be alive the next time that it comes. But there was certainly a. Uh, the, you know, the, the, this was certainly in the news, Halley's Comet, and it was it was something that you talked about in schools and everyone as a nation was quite interested. And I like those things where everyone's sort of talking at the, the same time about the same thing. And he's very good at being, I like the way he goes, I'm a rather angry one. He's, he's very good at being pissed off with the Time Lords. So, I, 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 you know, there was, there was a sense that, you know, in Doctor Who bringing... Um, uh, Halley's Comet into it. It felt like Doctor was being part of the national conversation and even though it's about time travel was, you know, was reflecting what was going on, you know, at the time that we were watching it. Was it January 1985? So I was just 11. Um, I always thought the Viennese, is it? No, Vastiel. Vastiel, the Viennesium's in Trial of a Time Lord, isn't it? Vastiel. Uh, very, very handy... I mean, yeah, very very handy to to lock your key prisoner in with this uh, uh, very unstable stuff. But you know, you go, ah, oh, but they're storing it somewhere where it's cold. Um, yeah, I know. I think I can accept that. Um, I I suspect it's really nice. I've done it on audio, but. I suspect it's really nice acting opposite Colin Baker on screen. He really invests in the person he's performing with, uh, and and you know, it's there's an exchange of the dramatics. His his dramatic delivery is very much based on the way that he's interacting with the other person. A lot of actors sort of take it amongst themselves to themselves, and and you know, their 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 dramatics are a bit more declamatory and. And, and, and that sort of sucks the attention into themselves. I always feel that Colin Baker is really good at engaging where, with the actors that he's on screen with and, and, and that there's a respect there as well, um, which, is a, which is a quality that 
because it's quite a selfless quality, doesn't actually draw attention to itself particularly. Um, I, I, I feel a bit sad now because once these guys get inside, this is pretty much it for uh, Bates, Stratton and Griffiths. And I think it's a real waste of uh, Brian Glover. Um, but this is, that's, you know, that, that's great Doctor Who scary stuff, a hand coming out of the darkness, grabbing somebody by the al ankle and sort of pulling them away. Um, but it's quite cursory, isn't it? It's quite... It's it's quite blunt the way that they they get him, and that's that's again brilliantly shot. I love the you know Lytton lying on the floor with the cyber feet around him, and then the shot from almost from his point of view of the of the the cyber loom as it were, the cybermen looming over him. Um, I uh, you know it's 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 pretty tough the way that uh, they uh, they just go well you know. We don't need him, and he's got, and it's too late, and we're going forward. Um, but uh, it's because uh, Eric Sayward kind of loves Charlie Griffiths in the book, much of, of Attack of the Cybermen, much of which is told from his point of view. Um, and, and indeed, I believe in his death scene, he, does he die with a smile on his face because he, you know, he, he, he'd got out of his boring life and, and done something on an alien planet and nobody would quite believe it kind of thing. Um but I think I do think it's a slight waste of the all of those characters. I mean, Strat Stratton and Bates have, you know, are set up to to be, uh, you know, a bit more key to the plot than they they actually are. They're there essentially as cannon fodder. Um, I like this. I remember this at the time, thinking it was there was something about the sort of in, inexorable way that the that the spark sort of moves up the Cyberman's arm and it can't do anything about it, which is pretty grim. It's like watching your own death. It's a bit like watching a sort of rat coming to gnaw your face off, but it's it's sparks going up your cyber arm. And I remember, uh, you know, I remember that from the time. Um, oh, this is I. I'm a sucker for a bit of self-sacrifice. Um, so, you know, that's how I want to go. I want to leave me. You go. I'll hold them off. That's how I want to go. So if if you can arrange that, that's, uh, <laughs> um, and and again, Colin Baker gives it the sort of requisite gravitas. Um, I would want. I would quite happily have a death scene with with Colin Baker as the person to suggest the price being paid as it were because he's he's very good at that then I, I like these shots i think these caves shrouded in the smoke are are pretty decent sets um you know i suppose you never quite feel that they're a cave because in a real cave you know it's always oh yes they're caves but they're very high ceilinged caves because you have to have that to have the requisite level of light to make stuff visible in the studio um There's a lot more cryons than you. I suppose those. I suppose the cryons in the background of Threst's uh, place are the same as the background cryons here. But I think I think the fingery stuff is quite uh, the you know the sort of like marionette fingers of the of the cryons is quite nice. Now this, I I've just done an interview about this about whether this series is too for a television program about whether this series is too violent or not and. And I think they'd wanted me to sort of err on the side that it was. But I but I have to be honest and say that I wanted Doctor Who to be violent. I may have sort of mentioned this last week. Uh, you know, I, this was getting to the point where Doctor Who was occasionally seen as a bit ropey and a bit of a kid's programme. So any any suggestion of blood, and that's really effectively done. It's, it's nicely acted by 
Colburn, but the, it's it's the it's the very simple effect of the being blood on his crushed hands. But it is sadistic, um, and it is kind of sadistic without an awful lot of context. Or I suppose the argument is, if they knacker his body, uh, that you know that's a suggestion to us. Well, he's not going to recover from this, uh, and so they're going to start turning him into a Cyberman. Uh, you know which is the beginning of the end and 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 you know his journey to his sort of final moments um but it, it's it, it it's worth noting how little Lytton and griffiths sort of have to do after that first tardis scene uh, at the expense of a lot of stuff with the cryons and i i'm not sure as a viewer that's that's particularly where i want stuff to be i don't know um oh dear the doctor has escaped um uh, and i quite like she has quite a cool payoff line does it oh and this is quite grim i seem to recall uh when when they kill her um but i you know i the 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 the, the i'd not sure i'd remembered the crushed hands either that's which is which is worth noting in and of itself because i tended to notice moments where you know, green goo comes out of a, a Silurian's face or a sea devil's face or, you know, the, the, the money shots, as you were, the, 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 you know, head of Stengos, all the, all the grim stuff. Uh, I very much was the stuff that I sort of took away with me a lot of the time, particularly because that was the stuff I thought would earn me brownie points with the kids at school. This is very well lit, this scene, actually, because I suspect it's all quite simple, you know, little bits of flattage and lots and lots of darkness um because it's a it's a it's a piece of scenery that's not seen very much so i i suspect that was that was done on a on a bit of a budget and it's actually you know simple but effective nice lighting uh good use of shadow uh well done there everybody um but yes I, I, yeah, I love the way that... Uh, I, yeah, I like the cryon's fingers and I like the way she makes her lower the gun there. Um, I'm actually quite enjoying the cryons as a visual, apart from the dinner plate necks. Um, I don't quite know what's going on there. Is that is that part of what they're wearing? If so, it's a... Or, or because if that, if that see-through stuff is the skin on their head, have they got, like, big, big gill necks? Uh, in which case, that's a bit strange. Um, love a bit of cobweb. Sometimes a bit of cobweb is rather fun. Uh, and, I, you know, I like this idea of, of um, you know, there's the, that they're rotting away because something's gone a bit wrong and that we've got the we've got the dis distress signal. The Cybermen have one weakness. No, they don't. We've established in this story they've got about a thousand. Uh, they always react to the distress of another, which seems a little bit un-Cyberman-y, actually. Uh, my, my feeling is a Cyberman would go, if one's in trouble, what can we learn from that? Uh rather than we need to go and rescue that one we only go and rescue that one if it's got something really important otherwise you know nuts nuts to you it would be illogical um now i remember this being uh you know this being pretty grim isn't it because they essentially chuck her outside to boil to death which is pretty pretty harsh but i quite like her her cussed response you know and it's a terrible line i don't have an instrument for measuring time it's very slightly overblowny uh sci-fi stuff but actually faith brown succeeds in making it a kind of sarky riposte um but but this is this is pretty grim and you know um 
Banks's body language is absolutely magnificent. You know, he's there going, I'm I'm the cold, impassive thing, you know, wall of steel, whereas she's the opposite of cold. She's and, you know, she is a creature of movement and all of that. And I love that contrast to her trying to get in and Banks just standing there. And, you know, she's the organic boiling flesh and he's the cold steel. Uh, and I think that's. I think that's pretty, pretty grim and very nicely done. And uh, well done, Faith Brown. Uh, but this, this seems, I think, of, uh, and I mean, it, it all happens in one camera shot as well, isn't it? It's a very sort of cheap end to, and it does, it's never really quite clear what's going on. You know, you don't know why he gets electrocuted, really. There's no explanation there. And then these guys just, you know, run off and, one camera at the end and i mean you barely see glover because 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 of the, the the blocking and jonathan david's in front of him i i think that's a i think glover and griffiths and even bates and stratton deserved a little better than that to all be you know mowed down quite mercilessly but i suppose part of say which stick is that you know life is merciless uh and harsh and cruel which is why then uh uh, having having a Cyberman go, oh dear, we've got to get out of here, as one does in a minute. Uh, slightly, some you know, sometimes the blocking or individual choices or bits of direction are sometimes odd. With when this thinks it's intergalactic, the Sweeney, you know, it's it's suddenly, it, 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 yeah, it's it, it it can there are there are sort of lapses or changes that reminds you that occasionally it's 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 Doctor Who doing its best and always quite managing. Uh, but this is all, you know, this is all exciting cyber. I love an exploding cyber cyber chest. Uh, and yeah, so this was the bit that we saw in uh, on, on Saturday Superstore. And it's quite a protracted death. And I like that light effect. And yeah, um, Sarah Green going, will Van survive? And and I think so. I think when this happened, uh, you know, I expected something more because it had been sort of teased in Saturday Superstore and it turns out it wasn't teased at all it was just a massive spoiler because you never really see any of them again uh and in fact you know if she'd if she'd lasted for a couple more minutes used to the plot uh, uh because you wouldn't have seen her again much after this anyway so if she'd been a bit more careful she could have survived but it's almost like it's an Eric Saywood script if somebody's got a chance to get killed uh we, we will take that chance to I'm I'm just I'm I'm just slightly surprised we didn't cut back to poor old Threst looking at a monitor, and uh, Cyberman comes and kills her and her mates as well. Um, so, it, so indeed, the baby is given, you know, he's given a few people a stay of execution. He's getting soppy in his old age. Uh, but of course, then we have this slightly stressed. Colin is so good at this that touching her on the shoulder and giving a he he invests he makes you important as a, as another actor as another character in the drama and i think that and he's very good at those t just tiny sort of touching little moments often in in quite ridiculous or or, or scenes that or, or scenes that are slightly flawed that that, that just need a little of in, injection of humanity is the wrong word because he's not a particularly human doctor but of but of empathy of of, of character interaction um but yes, and this is quite grim for old uh, for old Lytton. And I think you know, as as somebody who who liked Lytton and liked the idea of him coming back, when it gets clear that you know they've brought him back to kill him. Oh, and I like that. I remember laughing out loud when the Doctor is actually quite pleased that it's uh, hit the TARDIS shape. And that's that's quite a nice trick to play on the audience to make them furious uh, that uh, uh, 
you know that the TARDIS may not now be doing the thing that we we know and love it for um and and playing with our expectation I think that's that's quite fine and I and I yeah I do like the way that uh, that Colin Baker <laughs> pats it affectionately as if to go I actually quite like it that things go wrong and I you know and it's a good it's a good lesson for life and, and a very good lesson for Doctor Who is is to sort of treat shortcomings with a certain rueful pleasure in a way to sort of go it's it's quite nice to be reminded that actually nothing's perfect and and, and you have to be like that to be a Doctor Who fan because because Doctor Who, for all its brilliance, you know, it treads a fine line. It's about somebody traveling through space and time in a police box that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It's about, a, a, you know, a, a benign, funny alien um, doing sci-fi adventures that vary from the outlandish to the scary to the, you know, extremely ambitious uh, to the sometimes misconceived. And you have to, at, at all produced, you know, on multi-camera BBC budget, um, uh and, uh, and so the fact that the TARDIS doesn't quite work properly and goes wrong, the fact that that's slightly reassuring is almost a comment on Doctor Who itself. Now, Cybermen killing each other seem to be the way... And I, and I seem to recall in the Peladon books that, you know, the, the, there, was, there was a thing of the, the, um, the, the, ice, the ice warriors sort of almost ended up by accident shooting the Ice Lord and vice versa. And it, and it happened a bit with the in my head with the Cybermen as well, or, or certainly when, you know, when the Lieutenant and the leader both kill each other there, that, that seemed like, oh, is that what Cybermen do now? And, and, that, and that's, that takes the, you know, the Doctor out of the equation. Uh, and you are thinking, oh, well, you see, but what they're doing there is they're, it's meaning that the Doctor doesn't have to partake in any of the destruction. And then he shoots the Cyber Controller to bits um, and then gets to be sad about Lytton. Um, and Lytton, I suppose, got to, got to, help there that's the th- leg it nigel that's it that's it as somebody i think has said you know <laughs> i can't remember who said that but credit to the somebody somebody said that those yeah those though is it the discontinuity guide i don't think they put nigel though but yeah that idea of oh quick we gotta get quick get out um but you know litter all litton really did there was stab the cyber controller on the in the on the shoulder with some pliers um uh, but yes he was helping he was helping the cryons um uh, I I think that's there brilliant in the acting from from Colin um but I th- I think the script is wanting to accept that because we're told it much more than than maybe that that it that it earns it I I feel Lytton and Griffiths as I say sort of faded a bit there which was a which was a shame um but as I say I like the crayons um and and I actually I think the way that the controller bats you know, attacks the Doctor. It was quite vicious there. Oh, they get credited before Bates and Stratton. That's very interesting to me. Um, monsters before humans, unusual. But I suppose Banks and uh, Kilgariff are kind of returning, you know, talent from the past. Oh, M.A.C. Adams, he's just passed away, the film editor, Mac Adams. Uh, but yes, I, I, I think the I think the way that uh, the cyber controller sort of, you know, uh, it's quite harshly smacks the doctor about is uh, is 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 very is, is almost, he's almost psychopathic there, Kilgariff in his final uh, sort of flourish. Um, so there we go. It's 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 tonally quite uneven, but I and I know some people who really don't like Attack of the Cybermen. I think I prefer the first half to the second half, if I'm honest. Uh, but I actually quite enjoyed the cryons there, watching them certainly as a 
as as a design. I think I uh, admire them more for what they're aiming for than necessarily what they pull off, maybe. And as I say, I, I think I could have done with a bit more. I think I could have done with a bit more somehow tying in what Bates and Stratton and Griffiths are up to in that second episode with with the larger plot with the wider plot because otherwise just feels like you say what's gone well I've, I've brought all these characters in to make it exciting when they die but then even then Bates Stratton and Griffiths all die in the same scene almost I mean there's I thought it was one shot but there's there's two camera setups one from you know one three quarters up the, the corridor and then one at the end of the corridor but it's quite a sort of cursory part of the st storytelling you know it's a it's it's obviously only a handful of flats and it's it's told it's done with great economy and well done for doing it and you know broadening the canvas but but it does mean it just feels a little bit cursory um and yes that dissatisfaction you could say well that's the writer going life is hell life war is hell life is cheap you know in 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 space no one can hear you die unnecessarily in a subplot that's not gone very far um and and, and you know and it buys us that uh, you know that uh, that those moments where we learn uh that that Lytton's not all that bad but the, again they make no attempt to reconcile that with the guy we knew from resurrection of the daleks so it's sort of telling us but i think without without much sort of evidential backup um apart from what he's doing for the cryons but they don't sort of that they never weigh that up with all of the other stuff that we know about him and i and i don't think it's because there wasn't time because i thought some of some of that episode was a quite a lot of sort of you know chat or you know sort of actiony sequences that uh, uh you know weren't weren't necessarily um giving us an awful lot although i did like all the the toomey stuff so anyway i've got to choose two things and a bonus that I like about Attack of the Cybermen. And what did I choose? I chose Brian Glover and I chose the sort of London Euston y stuff. Euston films y stuff. What do I like about um, part two? Well, um I I quite Yeah, I do like the idea of the you know, of the cyber rejects. I think I think they're they're a reason, reasonable sort of variation on the myth and it does and it does lead to that nice scene where, you know, Atwell who does it very well strips his glove off and 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 you know really squeezes Griffith's hand and uh, I think that's all very well done so yeah the sort of cyber rejecty you know that and and the fact that it has that sort of tough guy element that 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 is echoed in the the stuff in part one the gangster used in filmsy stuff the fact that you've got Michael Atwell doing it and being this sort of tough bringing this sort of tough London attitude which again was not massively usual for for doctor at the time when villains tended to be sort of rp and that sort of thing um and and that you know there's a there's a sort of there's, you know working class sort of cockney people in doctor who tended to be sort of or cheapy or sold chirpy or chirpy supporting characters or factotums or soldiers you know i can't like that sort of gritty gritty thing but is that is that a good enough thing to say um 
or is it that I like the outside, you know, the the planet surface stuff, the quarry? I do like the quarry. Um, and I like... I like the cryons movements. I like the cryons. I think I'm going to say the. I think I'm going to say the cryons. I. I. I don't think they're a hundred percent successful. But I. I. And I don't quite know why. Uh, apart from maybe the plate plate gilnecks. Um, but I do like the movement. I do like the thing of going well. You know, let's make them. You know, um, f sort of all feminine, but with moustache i like women with moustaches is what i'm saying but if they're from space um uh i th i think there's i think there's quite a lot of creativity got into them and quite a lot of imagination gone into them so i'm going to say the cryons uh and the cyber rejects uh and i think i'm gonna say for my bonus thing is the violence <laughs> because as a kid the exploding cyber heads and the even though i as i said i've never quite forgiven them for not making the cybermen invincible but uh, but all of that stuff and the machine guns and the the action sequences and the crushed hands and all of that and, and the spurting goo was absolutely the stuff i lapped up now of course, it's what ultimately led to Doctor Who's uh, hiatus and uh, all sorts, all sorts of issues. Um, and I do think I, I have a very complicated relationship with it because I also acknowledge the fact that some of it, you know, maybe goes too far. Uh, and was it suitable for the time period? But as a kid, it's sort of what I wanted. And I think you can do violence within context. I don't think Sayward always gets it, because I know he wanted the Doctor to shoot two guards in Resurrection of the Daleks, and that was in his script, and he's always gone, well, you know, when you get involved in violent situations, sometimes violence is a consequence. The whole point of Doctor is that he, that's not what the Doctor does, I sort of think. And yes, I know the Doctor does sometimes um, kill people, but... Uh, and it's maybe hypocritical to go well the doctor does it at a distance but but then doesn't do it shouldn't do it um uh you know in, in terms of directly and then i go well actually that's hypocritical because in the same way that i get annoyed with people who um uh you know don't like being confronted with the fact that animals are killed for meat but will happily buy something from a supermarket and you go well so you, actually you don't mind so long as you don't have to see it being done or do it yourself and i think well no if you i think it's the opposite if you're prepared to do it yourself i think you've got you've you, you're you're entitled to do what you want but if uh if, anyway so i don't know i do you know what i've got a big dilemma here because i don't know that i do like that because i cer i certainly don't like the doctor killing things um but i did like the adult i mean it's not massively adult is it it's got comedy organ music when it's got a sad cyber head and all of that sort of stuff but um you know it's got faith 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 brown melting in it um but that's pretty grim that's but that's a good scene isn't it that's a good scene hmm all right all right what am i going for i'm going for i like my three that my so i've got two things for this episode and a bonus thing i'm going to go for i like the cryons even though they're not 100 percent successful and i think we spend a little too much time talking to them i like 
Faith Brown's death scene, particularly that contrast between her and David Banks. And I like Matthew Robinson's direction. I think that means that I can have the toughness and some of the violence, but I but I think it's partially to do with a kind of kind of attitude he has and a and a kind of a kind of backbone that he gives it. I think there are some lapses in choice sometimes, especially when when we go for some of the comedy side of it. I actually, which which Resurrection of the Daleks actually has less of, and I think is I think Resurrection is actually slightly better directed than Attack. But I will still I still think Matthew Robinson is a is 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 one of the few eighties directors who you can go. But I I can actually single you out as a director because I I can see that your individual flavour as a director that you bring to it, and he does bring to it a sort of toughness and an aptitude for action and uh, and an uncompromising slant that lends itself well, particularly I think to the two scripts that he gets. So the cryons, Faith Brown's death scene, Matthew Robinson, they are my two things and my bonus thing three in total now then robin bunce is going to choose his things i should have thought of a better word than thing shouldn't i attack of the cybermen episode two what's he chosen episode two and yet more delights for us to sink our teeth into um, my two picks, and then a third pick which um, kind of encompasses the whole story. My first, um, my first pick is going to surprise some. Um, Malcolm Clark's music um, in this story is not universally loved, um, but I have a lot of time for it. I'm not thinking so much about the themes that Malcolm Clark writes um, for this story or this episode. I'm thinking more about his use of texture, his use of kind of dissonance, um, to express the kind of emotional turmoil um, which is happening during this episode. So I'm thinking about the moment where um, the Cyberman is being shot at point-blank range in the head in the TARDIS. That kind of very crunchy, dissonant chord, um, very electronic textures. Love that, love that, love that. I do like the recurrence of the cyber theme, uh, which of course we first heard in Earthshock. Um, and I just love the way that Malcolm Clark is using analog synthesizers. Um, it sounds like he's using the CS80, um, the, the classic Yamaha synthesizer, which was, you know, very, very big in the late 70s and early 80s. I like the way that he's constructed this kind of sound universe, which is kind of glassy and cold and slightly um, and, slight, and, and very, and there's a lot of ring modulation in there, particularly the kind of ring modulation bell sound that he's created, uh, which just kind of seems to epitomize and encompass everything that the Cybermen represent. So there we are, Malcolm Clark's music, that's my first pick. My second pick from this episode is Lytton's Death. I have to say I do love Morris Colborn. Um, if I'm saying his name wrong, uh, forgive me, forgive me. Um, but yeah, I love him. Um, I saw him first, I think, in Day of the Triffids, I think in 1981, and I adored him in that, and I adored that entire production. Um, I didn't see much of the Peter Davison years, as I said earlier, but I did watch the Dalek episode, so I was kind of aware of Lytton as a character from that. I liked him. I do like mercenary characters you know there's a lot of kind of moral complexity there um, and I like the fact that this is his kind of redemption this this story in this episode particularly is his redemption um, and yes and his death is is very very moving I think it's played enormously well um, I like the way that um, 
his death brings out the Doctor's humanity again. And again, it's a different kind of humanity. It, there's a kind of vulnerability to the Sixth Doctor. And, and I guess we sometimes think of the Sixth Doctor as kind of pompous and, um, and kind of self-regarding. But there is this kind of undercurrent of kind of self-doubt um, in Colin Baker's performance. And Lytton's death allows Colin Baker to kind of perform um, both aspects of the Doctor's character. And it also allows Nicola Bryant to come in. And I think I like the way that Perry has her own moral compass all the way through these um, these two episodes you know she's not simply saying yes doctor um, she's thinking about things from, from her own point of view and Lytton's death kind of allows all of those things to come through um, obviously the whole the kind of torturing of Lytton Lytton's conversion leading up to his death all of that is kind of very interesting as well um, and you know it's very video nasty um, appropriate to the era I guess so yeah so Lytton's death that's my second pick so finally then, what do I like about these episodes combined, my kind of overall pick? I think the thing I haven't really mentioned so far is the Cybermen, and this is what I like about this show. I think this show, more than any other Cyberman story in the, um, in the classic era, really explores what the Cybermen are and what's distinctive about them as villains. Um, so yes, we see the conversion process um, in this second episode, um, and it's kind of hinted at previously in the first episode as well. We see the conversion process much more fully than we see in any other episode of the classic era. Um, and we also have a huge amount of cyber history thrown in. So there's callbacks to Mondas, there's callbacks to Telos. Um, Cybermen in the sewers, I presumably they've been knocking around since the 70s or whenever it was that the invasion, you know, the invasion episode took place. So I love the fact that this is takes the Cybermen seriously. I love the fact it's rooted in this fictional history of, of the cyber race. And I mentioned H.G. Wells earlier, I'm going to mention H.P. Lovecraft here. I think the thing that Paula Moore is doing um, in this episode, by the constant references back to cyber history, is she's creating what H.P. Lovecraft calls a background of evil very similar... <laughs> Try that again. A background of evil very similitude. Um, that is to say, um, she's creating this kind of fictional world that we believe in because we've seen it before. And again, that makes everything more plausible. So there we are. Um, I love this. I think this is by far the best Cyberman story of the classic era, at least in colour. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to back off that. I'm getting a bit excited. Yeah, at least it's the best Cyberman story of the colour era. Um, so yeah, so I enjoyed this enormously. As I say, this is the show which rekindled my love of Doctor Who back in 1985, and I owe it a great deal for that. Um, I've always loved watching it. I was so excited when they released it on VHS. I was so excited when the BBC released it on um, Blu-ray, and I'm look, sorry, on DVD, and I'm looking forward to the BBC releasing it on Blu-ray. So I hope you enjoyed this story as much as I did. Um, and you know, a day watching Attack of the Cybermen is always a good day. I hope you felt that too. Plugs. I should plug some stuff, shouldn't I? Well, um, if you want to read about my thoughts about Doctor Who, um, get. Um, Doctor Who and Philosophy Bigger on the Inside and read my chapter about the Daleks. Um, it's, um, it caused a bit of a stir when it came out, and um, yes, it's, um, it gives a different account of the Daleks' origins than the one which is usually 
um, which is usually kind of put out there. Secondly, um, Twelfth Night, it's a book about um, the Peter Capaldi era. I've got a chapter in there about the politics of Peter Capaldi's first two seasons. It contains punishing detail, lots of references to all kinds of political philosophy and political events. Uh, you'll love it. Finally, I am a host on Shoulder of Orion, the official Blade Runner podcast. When I'm not thinking about Doctor Who, I'm thinking about Blade Runner. Um, so, you know, why not join us on um, Shoulder of Orion, available in, you know, all good podcast outlets. Sorry, that sentence um, ran out of steam a little bit there. Anyway, lovely seeing you, Toby. I look forward to seeing you in April when we're going to be talking about Nigel Neal and 1984 in the Cambridge Festival Ideas. And if that happens to be in the past, um, it was great seeing you. You were amazing. Take care, Toby. Oh, bless him. I love that contribution, um, especially as I actually thought I kind of ran out of steam there. Uh, and it's nice that isn't it nice, obviously, because we have a we have a, you know, a genuine advocate for the for the story and for the episodes who I think perhaps made up, up for some of my shortcomings, because I do feel that in my heart of hearts and going into this, I, if you'd said to me, oh, you'll be choosing anything to do with the cryons for episode two, I'd gone, nah, because they're not they're not great. And, and uh, 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 But I actually watching them this time round, they seem to be to me to be the most visually interesting the most pleasant surprise and i even like the way they were shot in you know in some of those wide shots as well but they also sustained a close-up and all of that and 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 i was i think appreciating the ambition rather than the the success but i think it's because um the things i like about the story particularly tail off a bit in part two because i like Lytton, i like griffiths i like the toughness and there's less of that um and i think also because I'm certainly not with Robin in, in in it being the best cyber story of, of, of the colour era because I'm a child of Earthshock and I remember the, the extreme effect that Earthshock had on me uh, and, and nothing was ever going to quite match that. And also I remember Resurrection of the Daleks and I see this as a companion piece to Resurrection of the Daleks because it's Matthew Robinson again, because it's Morris Colborne again. But I th I think Resurrectionism is, is a slightly more complete production it's problems with the script i know but but in terms of i think and, and this is where i didn't choose malcolm clark's music where robin did because i i can't quite forgive the the little comedy interludes that malcolm clark sprinkles in which i know are in cahoots with the director and the and, and the business some of the actors throw in um but that to me means it's a slightly more sort of schizophrenic tone um and sometimes that that's what Doctor Who does so brilliantly. It can do deep seriousness and then something very silly and the things work hand in hand. But but they work better when they... And this is, I think, where some of the alchemy of Doctor Who comes in, where all the disparate elements somehow hold together, even though they shouldn't. So a scene will make you cry, even though it's slap bang next to a scene where it's got some highfalutin, ludicrous sci-fi concept that everyone's playing with a terribly straight face or even throws a joke into and winks at the audience slightly. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure I, I feel that attack m melds quite as well, even though there's still loads that I love. It's certainly in, uh, and, and I did watch it once and went, oh, dear, this isn't very good. This is about 10, 15 years ago where I changed my mind on it slightly because it had always been a story that I'd enjoyed um, because it's quite action packed. I like the action adventures. I, you know, so sometimes my, you know, my go to Doctor Who is one that's got lots of explosions and lots of deaths and, and, and all of that. And I, th and I think it fits the bill there very very nicely i think i think robin is absolutely right to 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 highlight how colin baker for all his spikiness for all his alienness 
he he does give real weight to moments of death or moments of self-sacrifice and he has a sort of wistful self-reflection uh, among the spikiness and i uh and i think i was talking about other stuff during Lytton's death scene which was one of which was one of robin's you know key choices um and i th- and uh, i don't know maybe it's because i was talking all the way through it this time but i i don't know i don't know um well anyway it's nice that robin articulated different things from me and articulated them so well because uh i think i think maybe my my second half was slightly unfocused um and maybe slightly had emphasis in the wrong place and and wasn't brilliantly thought through or put together but in a way i can forgive myself for that because that is kind of my feelings about the second episode itself. So I can sort of say my my commentary was you know, thematically apt. And then in comes Robin and puts, uh, uh, but does what Happy Times and Places should do is is puts an absolutely positive spin on on so much of it and and did so with great uh, uh, with with great articulation, articulacy, uh, articulatedness, <laughs> uh, and uh, so do check out all of his work. And sadly, uh, yeah, so I'm betrayed by by time, of course, because, yes, when Robin did this, season 22 was not out on Blu-ray, which it is now. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm uh, on the commentary for uh, Revelation of the Daleks, which was nice because it means I got to do uh, a BBC commentary with Colin Baker. Um, And and for years, uh, I'd never actually done a BBC commentary with any doctor uh and uh i've got to do some with tom now and i've got to do some with to do one with colin as well so i've so i've i've uh, yeah i've got to i've got to got to share a commentary with a doctor which i hadn't i hadn't done until pretty late in the day and uh i was glad to be there when uh, uh when colin completed his because he'd not done Revelation because he'd been off, off on tour or something, so hadn't been available for the dates. So it's important to get the Doctor on as many as possible. Um, but uh, I didn't end up going to the Cambridge uh, um, Institute of Ideas uh, or, or to the, the, the Festival Ideas that he'd arranged. And he was so very understanding. I sort of chickened out. I was... My my chaise was very ill, uh, and I was I was very reluctant about travelling because of because of COVID and 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 all sorts of other things, and uh, so I, I I backed out in the end. Uh, so, Robin, I'm afraid history has made a liar of you because uh, I, I wasn't brilliant. I wasn't there. Uh, I was not there. I do not remember it, which uh, is very appropriate, seeing as we were talking about 1984. Um, it has been erased. Uh, from a history that never happened even though in your version of history there uh, it had and it went brilliantly so there that too is uh, my my own inadequacy is thematically apt once again so at least yeah at at least at least uh, my my failure always riddles uh, always reflects some form of um uh, subtext or or thematic appropriateness so uh, <laughs> uh so 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 yeah at least uh, at least it's a failure you know that absolutely works in context and uh, i th- i think maybe um that's a that's a metaphor for my life in general 
Anyway, look, I hope you enjoyed Attack of the Cybermen. I hope if you didn't enjoy Attack of the Cybermen before, you've enjoyed it a little bit more this time. I hope I uh, accentuated the positive as much as I can, because as I say, I find that a perfectly enjoyable episode to watch, story, and I, particularly the first episode. But I, I don't, don't think it quite... I, I think it could do with another draft, maybe. Um, but that's but that's sort of nitpicking. I, I would perfectly happily sit and watch that adventure. I just found it slightly more difficult to talk about than maybe I'd anticipated. But that's all right. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to open the back door now because it's really hot, even though it's late at night. Uh, and I'll let Bernard the dog out. And then when he tries to come back in, I shall stand impassively and watch him melt. He, 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 I'm not going to I'm not going to melt the dog. That's there's taking thematic uh, thematic uh, uh, um, reflections uh, a little bit too far. So anyway, um, thanks very much for viewing and listening, and uh, I hope uh, I haven't misjudged a Doctor Who episode. In this case, Attack of the Cybermen Part Two. Goodbye. Well, thanks ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest is Homerton College, Cambridge's historian of ideas, Robin Bunce, who can be found on Twitter at RenegadesRobin. I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Gareth Bowley, Leslie Coots, Ben Cowdell, Peter Crocker, Philip Craggs, Lee Kremin, Steve Cuniff, Dave Curran, Simon Curtis, Paul Philip Dahlgren, Matt Dale, Rob Dawson, Chris Davis, Hugh Davies, Robert Davies, Shanty Day, Ian Dean, Tim Dickinson, Drew, Paul Dykes, Andrew East, Jeff Edwards, Andrew Egan, Mark Findlay-Smith, Paul Gibbons, David Gillespie, Charles Gears, Ginger Animator, Lisa Gledhill, Robin Groan, Paul J. Guest, Thomas Guerrier, Aaron Gullius, Hammerhouse of Podcast, and Susan Harrison. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork Dylan Patterson. Oh, gosh, how can I get my name read out on the credits like that? Well, all you have to do, dear listener, is to become a patron, and that costs as little as £3 a month. Go to patreon.com forward slash Toby for £3 a month or more, and there are things to lure you up the higher tiers, but to be honest, most of the stuff is available at the lowest tier, £3. I don't like the idea of denying people things. Uh, and you get uh, three releases a week, and that doesn't include the pictures of my dog they don't really count so actually four if you do like the pictures of the dog and some like the pictures of the dog more more than any of the other things which suggests to me perhaps there's more of a future in dog pictures than in comedy and or doctor who nichery and or a fusion of comedy and or doctor who nichery or whatever this is or just me talking this i mean this is just a word salad now um anyway those things are all part of the and this is the luring you there isn't it oh yeah i need more of this i need a middle-aged man stumbling over his words and clearly not sure what the end of the sentence he's about to embark upon is anyway three pounds a month uh, gets you advanced releases 
bonus material and an exclusive podcast called Far Too Much Information, which is the sister podcast to Too Much Information, which you get probably a month, maybe six weeks in advance of when it's released to everybody else. Ditto the Indefinable Magic. Some of those are a month, a couple of months uh, before they're released to everybody else. And these, the Happy Times and Places, oh, they're six months in advance. So if you thought that reference to the Cambridge um, uh, Festival of Ideas and the imminent release of season 22... Uh, when when Robin did them, you thought, thought they were out of date then. I mean, they're even more out of date now. Um, I mean, maybe they've released season two on microchip by the time you get this. No, it's usually about six months or so. So patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Goodies, uh, advanced releases, £3 a month. And every tier also has a 10% discount if you sign up for a year in advance. <laughs> I know not everyone can do uh, the monthly thing or doesn't want to. God, when we're going to be obliged to pay uh, probably the soul of our firstborn for a tank of petrol. Um, but Kofi.com is where you can go and do a one-off payment if you so fancy it. And there's there's no bonuses there, but there's also you're not tied into a, a monthly commitment. Kofi.com forward slash Toby Hayden. <laughs> funny i didn't have time to plug the um the idea of um you know giving these five star reviews and leaving something nice wherever you happen to be dropping by on the internet because what i do is i have that as i record these i've sort of dropped the two musical stings slightly after the post credits and i try and do it so that i then just talk um and time it so that they chop in so i don't have to do too much editing afterwards so it's almost like doing it live you know it's the countdown to the news toby you've got you know you've got you've got just time to plug kofi before that musical sting that you can see looming ahead of you so um that's how that was done and uh i was inclined to try and do it sometimes it happens where i talk too long and then have to jiggle stuff about but it took me i think about 12 goes to get the opening the opening uh narration is the wrong word but you know the intro the stuff about positively inclined doctor who thing and actually i i made a little stumble in it that i that i cut out rather than try and say the whole 40 second spiel that i've said about 250 times um it's because i don't have a, a scripted spiel for the beginning i just try and sort of fit it in i think it would be it would be boring if it was always the same I think some professional brand type people would go, no, no, you have to say exactly the same thing because then it's recognisable and the listeners know what they're getting. I think the listeners know what they're getting. They've trawled, they've trawled through uh, their internet provider. No, their, their podcast provider. They've read the name of the podcast. They've chosen this particular episode. Uh, in fact, I think it's quite nice if the opening is slightly different because then if you're listening to the wrong episode, I'm currently listening to one that's a couple of years old, but it's a, it's a story. And every time the episode finishes, I want it to jump to the next episode. And it doesn't. It jumps to either the trailer for the whole thing or one I've heard before or the latest episode. Uh, so every time the episode ends, I have to sort of scramble and fumble to get the thing out of my own, uh, out of my pocket before I get the wrong episode. Uh, or or I start listening. I go, oh, sure, I've heard this episode before. Um so that's the reason it's like because you go, hang on, this isn't the opening. The, or, or you go, oh yes, this is a this is a slightly different phraseology of the opening spiel to the last episode I heard. So therefore, yeah, I can I can relax and not have to dive into my pocket and ruin my day and curse one technology and why it doesn't work properly. Um, and I'm you know I've I've downloaded the thing. I'm following it. And anyway, it doesn't matter. I've not come for internet advice. I'll live. I'll live. 
the dropout about uh, the Theranos founder, Elizabeth Holmes, and the malfeasance that she uh, indulged in. In it's, it's the world we live in, isn't it? Have you got millions of pounds? Yes, well, um, here's some million more because you've got uh, chutzpah and self-confidence and a product that doesn't work, hasn't followed any of the medical testing. It's, very, it's fascinating, very interesting, because um, I don't just listen to Doctor Who podcasts. I mostly do, though. But no, I don't. I listen to a lot of political ones as well and uh, a couple of comedy ones. But I quite like a true crime thriller, you know. I quite like a true crime thriller. So perhaps what you need to do instead of uh, instead of listening to somebody try and say interesting things about Attack of the Cybermen, you should, uh, you should be listening to The Nobody Zone or Serial or uh, West Cork or some such. But if you like this stuff... Um, I see this is a, my brand manager have I had one I would be going don't cross contaminate your Doctor Who stuff by mentioning other genres and other podcasts that you have no, you have no stake in whatsoever but I suppose this is the advantage of not having a brand manager in fact if I ever have a brand manager that is time to, to finish me off you, Toby in 2022 says you know that's when I think you could go He's changed off him. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a severe punishment, isn't it, for somebody embracing corporate identity? But uh, I think for me, it's probably it would be probably what I deserve. Anyway, so now that I've initiated some sign, some kind of time assassination uh, for myself, um, I think I'll probably. Um, oh, I'm going to go and record an epic. Uh, too much information. Uh, timeline fans, which actually you will have heard before this so you know the marco polo episode one too much information uh that you heard six six seven four or five months ago yeah i did i did that i did that after i did this unless you're a patron in which case they're gonna get this first but this can act as a trailer to the very next release which is released in a couple of days because you patrons you get an embarrassment of riches don't you all right don't shout at once no, it's don't all shout at once, isn't it? Oh, I've ruined that. And it's a quote from a different story. It was going so well. It, it actually, it wasn't even going so well, but now it's, it's just going to tail off.